I'm, I just really wanted to um, kind of consolidate this with, um, I mean, we, we've seen all, all the climate information and uh, the 5G, and it's like joining, joining the dots because we've got so much stuff being thrown at us, different agendas being thrown at us, and sometimes it's really important to join the dots of, of these agendas. And the overriding agenda is Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. I mean, 2030 was just a goal. It was put in place in 2015, after the, um, the Earth Summit in, uh, really gave birth to Agenda 21 in 1992. But the, the agenda was, was going on a lot before then, from, since really the mid-1970s. So we're talking about a very long-term agenda. And they call it Agenda 21, it is an agenda. Um, and it was, it was a, um, a major, major shift in social engineering that happened in 1992. And really, what, ha what, I, what I noticed when, when I first started really, um, really going into this, down this rabbit hole, because I'd been working for the corporates for many years, and I began to see uh, what was happening, and I came out of the corporate world, and I've made this my, my mission uh, for what it's worth um, for, the, for the last 16 years to try and raise awareness about Agenda 21. And it's only now that it's being recognised as, you know, 2030s really pushing forward. It's being accelerated by the United Nations, by the WEF, by the WHO. And we're, we're finding ourselves, you know, marching towards this dystopian future that none of us want. We didn't ask for it, we don't want it. So um, I'm really going to give, take you on a very, very quick 20-minute romp on the history of Agenda 21, 2030, and how we got here, because it's really important to know where we're going, to know how we've got here at this point, and how we need to reverse it, how, what we have to do to reverse this damage that's been done. Um, basically, um, United Nations Agenda 21, it's a 42-chapter document published by the United Nations. And it was, it was really launched in 1992 at the Earth Summit. Now, um, the Earth Summit was held in Rio de Janeiro in, in 1992. It's also called Sustainable Development. Um, it was written as this 42-chapter document. On the face of it, it talks about sustainability, environmentalism, and conservation. But at its heart, it seeks to divide man from nature and control all of the resources, taking control of land, sea, minerals, and just about everything on our planet, under the deception of changing the world and saving the world. Um, the precursors, there were, there were three major Club of Rome reports that really made the bones of Agenda 21. And these went right back to the 1970s. And these Club of Rome reports, because the Club of Rome was really the, uh, the think tank for the United Nations at the time. And so we had, um, uh, let, me just, uh, let me just do this, oh, here we go. Um, the first one was uh, Limits to Growth in 1972, and this was all about population, uh, overpopulation and depopulation. And it was, it was really, it was put together um, sort of at a time when, when population was really a, a big, big thing. Um, it was about the exponential economic and population growth with finite supply of resources 
um, studied by computer. It was mainly computer simulation. And unfortunately, a lot of these Club of Rome reports were really based on computer simulations. And we know where that goes. I mean, they, they're not accurate. And they made wild presumptions about what the population would be and how, how much the, you know, the, we, we would actually not have any, enough resources to go around. Even by 1980, 1990, this is, we're talking 1972 at the time. And there was a, a, a guy called Paul Ehrlich who wrote The Population Bomb in the 1970s at the same time. It was a very, it was a big sort of Malthusian sort of uh, kind of ideology at the time that was going around about there's not enough resources, we've got to cull the population, or we've got to bring in um, sort of family planning and all sorts of uh, all sorts of, of, of ways of, of not having so many people on the planet. And uh, this kind of persisted for quite a long time, and a lot of people got on board with this. Um, and it was really in, in the 1970s that the technocracy movement of the 1930s was reborn by Zbigniew Brzezinski. He was a big mover and shaker in the Trilateral Commission, you know, the Council for Foreign Relations, you know, the Bilderberg Group, and he wrote a book um, in the 1990s called um, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technocratic Era. And it really was all about bringing technocracy into the modern age, because they tried it in the 1930s. It didn't work. It failed. It came out of Columbia University, and it really failed because they didn't have the technology and the Second World War kicked in. It was around the 1930s that they, you know, from Columbia University, there was a guy called Howard Scott and a guy called M.K. Hubbard. And it, Hubbard was the man who had the peak oil principle, if you understand all that. Um, and Hubbard and, and M.K. Scott, along with Joshua Haldeman, who was Elon Musk's grandfather, they came up with this idea that we could actually have an energy-based economy instead of a price-based economy. They'd had all the, the depression of the 1930s, and they were fed up with politicians and, uh, and, and bankers, as we are now. And it's very similar, it's a very similar time, actually, that they were fed up with all of them. They decided to try and create um, an energy-based economy instead of a price-based economy. But it fell... It kind of fell flat on its face. They didn't have the, the wherewithal to do it. They didn't have the technology. But now, they do. So um, that's really how um, it became reinvented in the, 19, in, in the 1970s, this, this ideology of being able to use carbon credits. And all of that was being seeded around 19, 1970s. Now, in 1987, another Club of Rome report uh, was, was brought about. It's called the Brundtland Commission Report. And that really was another part of Agenda 21, and it was about um, making countries more equitable. Um, we were known at that point as the polluting West. We were the bad guys. And this was almost like a second Marshall Plan. It was about shifting money across uh, to India and China, because they were the poor people, they, they needed, they, and we need to be equitable, we need to be fair in the world, and it sounded like sort of, you know, it sounded okay, and the Brundtman Commission, she was, um, uh, Grohan and Brundtland, she was the, I think she was the Prime Minister of Norway at the time, very socialist lady, and she was groomed by Maurice Strong at the United Nations to write the Brundtland Commission, and to come up with this plan 
to actually shift a, a, a lot of cash from Europe over to India and China. Now, that's what happened, you know, and this is, this is why, you know, we, Dr. Shiva was talking about uh, the whole IPCC thing, is that at that time, our industry shifted over to India and China. We stopped producing stuff. It all went over there. And they became the polluters. And yet we were paying the reparations for, um, for being the, the big polluters. So the whole thing was, was out of whack. And it was meant to be. This is a plan to de-industrialise the West, to create, a, a, if you like, a, a kind of, if you, you know, we, we just got de-industrialised. We, we didn't produce anything. And so we, a lot of our, our, our manufacturing shifted over to other countries. And it also happened, you know, a lot, a lot went over to Germany and France, and, but particularly India and China. So that whole sort of east-west thing be began then, where the, the, the east rose and we, we, we went down in, in our manufacturing. So um, that was really what our common future was about. It's a very commutarian um, sort of, I mean, if, if, if you understand what commutarianism is, it's a kind of corporate communism. And that's really what our common future was about. Um, and it was, it was based on sustainable development, and this, this was how they were going to make the world sustainable. Let's, let's shift, the, shift the, make everything equitable. Let's shift it all over to India and China, which of course, you know, hasn't worked, as we know. Um, now, the, the, uh, the first global revolution was the third one, just before, literally just before the Earth Summit. In 1992, they published, the Club of Rome published this think tank document, and it's called The First Global Revolution, and I, I have a co very tatty copy of it here. Now, this was interesting because this is really where climate change was born, <laughs> if you like. Um, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to read from, just very quickly, a section from it, because this is quite interesting. This was all about creating... Um, uh, creating, you know, identifying enemies, enemies. Because if you if you think at, at this time, the, um, the the first and second world wars were over, and the Berlin Wall had just come down in '89, so we had this um, lack of enemies, really, and uh, we need enemies, don't we? <laughs> um, and guess who became the enemy? Um, so. Uh, on page, oh, which one's this, 108, it says, the need for enemies seems to be um, a common historical factor. States have striven to overcome domestic failure and internal contradictions by designating external enemies. The scapegoat practice is as old as mankind itself. When things become too difficult at home, divert attention by adventure abroad. Bring the divided nation together to face an outside enemy, either a real one or one invented for the purpose. With the disappearance of the traditional enemy, the temptation is to designate a scapegoat um, or religious or ethnic minorities whose differences are disturbing. Now, on page 115, they identify, they identify that enemy. 
Um, and yeah, it's page 115 of the first global revolution, which was written as, as the think tank document for, the, uh, by the Club of Rome for the United Nations to create Agenda 21. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. In their totality and in their interactions, these phenomena do constitute a common threat which demands the solidarity of all people. But in designating them as the enemy, we fall into the trap about which we've already warned. All these dangers are caused by human intervention and it is only through changed attitudes and behaviour that they can be overcome. The real enemy then is humanity itself. So we became the enemy in 1991 when they published the first global revolution. We were identified as the enemy of humanity because that was the only enemy they could find. We are the scapegoat. As they, as they spoke. So unfortunately, um, this, um, yeah, they, I mean, it's a crisis think tank. Um, the, uh, the Club of Rome is a crisis think tank, and we, we still have crisis, crisis think tanks. You know, this is still going on within the United Nations and the WEF, and they cook up all sorts of scenarios for us. Um, now, this is Maurice Strong. He was the Secre Secretary General of the United Nations in 1992, and he was the man who, who was the grandfather of Agenda 21. Um, and one of the uh, quotes he said at the Earth Summit, and this is a really telling quote, he said, The effective execution of Agenda 21 will require a profound re-engineering of all human society, unlike anything the world has ever experienced. A major shift in the priorities of both governments and individuals, and an unprecedented redeployment of human and financial resources. This shift will demand that a concern for the environmental consequences of every human action um, will uh, the shift will demand that the concern for environmental consequences of every human action will be integrated into individual and collective decision-making at every level. Now, that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the consequences for every human action that they've dreamt up from identifying us as the, the, the enemy. And, you know, all of this, as we know, you know, we know that CO2 isn't a problem. But all of this was pushed at the Earth Summit. And this is how they got 178 countries at the Earth Summit, the leaders of those countries, to sign up to Agenda 21 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. They said they guilt-tripped 178 leaders of countries. And there was a lot of lobbying going on. They had 20,000 green lobbyists there. They had all the, the heads of state there who they literally lobbied and said, look, if you don't sign this, <clears throat> you, you won't be saving the planet. And it was, um, what's interesting is that if you really knew about Maurice Strong and Al Gore and all the people that were at the Earth Summit, I mean, it was the, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, Al Gore, a lot of industrialists, it was all about billionaires getting together 
and working out how they could literally take over the world. And nobody would actually, nobody would know. They, it was all about saving the planet. It was all about environmentalism. And it wasn't. It was, a, it was a big, fat lie. And that's what we've been living with ever since. Now, uh, just a little bit about Maurice Strong. He says, you know, we may get to the point where the only way of saving the world will be for industrial civilization to collapse. He actually said after that, isn't it our, our duty to make this happen? Isn't it our duty to make the civilization collapse? And that's what they want. They want societal collapse. Um, and actually, he was the, you know, he was, he headed up the Earth Summit. Um, it was often called the Unsaid Conference, the UNCED Conference. He was a member of the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, Council for Foreign Relations, and he was a member of the Fabian Society. He was a self-confessed communist in ideology and a capitalist in methodology. I mean, that, that kind of really is, is, is communitarianism. If you're, if, you're, if you're a capitalist in methodology and a communist in ideology, that is communitarianism, because it's corporate communism. And that's what we're living under right now. <clears throat> um, and uh, Anyway, he was exiled to China to avoid prison in the oil for food scandal um, uh, in 1995, where the UN Security Council made a resolution to supply Iraq with food in exchange for oil where there were revelations of corruption of funds involving Maurice Strong, Adnan Khashoggi, and many other oil billionaires. Um, he loved China. Um, his sister actually lived with Mao Zedong. Um, at, oh, his cousin, sorry. His cousin lived with Mao Zedong. And he ended his days in China. He loved the Chinese social system, social credit system. He loved the way the Chinese were, because they were compliant. And he could see that as a model for the rest of the world, so that they could be in charge. And he, he worked for the Rockefellers and, um, for, for many years um, in their finances. He, he worked for the Rockefellers for 17 years. So this man is deeply corrupt. And he was the one that, that really gave birth to Agenda 21 in 1992. Um, now, uh, after the, well, during the, the, uh, the, one of the, the things that was born out of the Earth Summit was ICLEI, the, the International, Committee, International Committee for Local and Environmental Initiatives. Um, it was set up to implement Agenda 21 right down from the global to the local. And that's, that is why ICLEI is in every town council in our country and in the world, actually. And it's there to really put these agendas through climate change agendas, so that we actually end up with the, the, final, the final countdown is for everyone to be under control of global governance. And that's, that's the end game, and I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. Um, obviously, this is not what we'll, you know, we, we will battle this one. <laughs> this won't happen. Now, there's a, you know, a lot of ways that this, this is, comes into our communities, and these are some of the NGOs actually work and I'm sure some of you will recognize some of them There's, you know uh, unlimited locality community organizers power to change people power I mean I've seen some of these NGOs locally and they, they've come in as, as what they call agents of change these are trained NGOs that come into local communities to literally push this agenda to push 
um, climate change agenda so that we all get on board with it. And this is how our, 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 our communities have been taken over. And it's, it's this mantra of climate change, net zero, climate emergency. This is how they did it. They've just infiltrated everywhere. Um, and we didn't ask for any of this, you know. Um, the IPCC, the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, was again something that came out of the, IP of, of the Earth Summit. Now, this was a, a body, literally, as, as, as we know, paid consultants to, um, and, and they're being paid heavily to churn out misinformation on climate. And this is, unfortunately, what we've been dealing with for many, many years. And you'll find that, that most of the climate scientists that come out and tell the truth are retired. And there's a reason for that, because when they're young, they've got families to feed, and if they don't go along with the narrative, their funding is, is taken away. And so this is... Five minutes, thank you. <laughs> um, so we've got the IPCC. The three E's of sustainable development, social equity, economic prosperity, ecological integrity. Um, and when did it become uh, 2030? It came, became 2030 in 2015, when the Pope endorsed the 17 goals of Agenda 21, uh, 20, uh, 2030. And what happened was, prior to that, it had been the, the Millennium Goals, which hadn't been achieved. They've, they've not achieved a lot of their goals. Um, and uh, basically, this, um, this, this really brought the Catholic Church, uh, effectively making the Catholic Church the UN's servant on Earth. Um, and, you know, talking about the last three years, you know, the, the, the soul, the soul theft of what's, what's happening now with, um, with what happened in, in the last three years with the, with the pandemic. And you realise that that was an acceleration, that was a deliberate acceleration of the, um, the 17 goals. Because in 2019, in June, uh, Antonio Guterres of the United Nations met with Klaus Schwab in Geneva and they set up this, this meeting and it's the Strategic Framework Partnership Forum um, except to accelerate the 17 goals. And then four months later, hey presto, we have event 201, and they add Bill and Melinda Gates into the mix to come up with a tabletop scenario in Brazil, a wet market in Brazil, a virus breaks out. What do we do about it? Oh, Bill and Melinda Gates are there. Yeah, we've got a vaccine. And that was a three-hour, a three-day tabletop scenario, a what-if what if there was a pandemic of coronavirus? And then it really happened. So it, it was that, you know, was that just coincidence? I don't think so. And what does, um, what does Agenda 21 uh, seek to achieve? Top-down global governance, populations moved into concentrated urban areas called smart cities or human settlement zones near train lines, no cars or air travel, every human action surveilled and carbon taxed. Concentration of wealth and power to the surveillance state, surveillance capitalism, and cashless society. And then we've got the absolute zero document, which, you know, it was, it, it, you know, I know Indra said that they don't take it seriously. This was debated in the House of Lords. It was given, um, and it's in Hansard, it was given priority to be implemented. And, you know, it says there, no, no planes or ships out of UK after 2029. No gas boilers, no wood burners. Um, this is, this is a, definitely something that needs to be taken seriously. Uh, net zero is zero you, your carbon. You know? And this is kind of what they want. They, they don't want us. 
It's, it's almost like a death cult. It's like, you know, the shrinking our world down so much that we can't move. We're restricted in movement. And really, the idea, the end, end game, is to have everybody experiencing life through a virtual reality headset in a smart city apartment so that you don't go anywhere, you don't do anything, and your soul is almost kind of taken away from your body and you live your life in an alternative reality in the metaverse. This is the end game for what they want. It won't happen. There's very, very, there's not much uptake in, in the metaverse. I know we've got payment systems in the metaverse, uh, MasterCard and Visa. You can, buy, you can buy real estate in the metaverse. And this is what they're doing. They're twinning everything in this world to create an alternative reality. And it's hideous. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, there's other things I could go into, like the, um, we've got the environmental and social governance system coming in very, very soon. This will happen after the COP conference. Uh, into our businesses, and really we'll be restricted. Our businesses will, will literally have to comply to the most extraordinary um, uh, draconian measures for, um, for environmental, social um, governance. And so you'll be, it's almost like a tax on your business, and this needs to be looked at. I can't seem to move the thingy forward, but anyway... It won't go any further, so it looks like we're sort of coming to a, a natural end. But I just wanted to say that this whole thing is, is really, it's anti-human, it's anti-nature, and it really is a, 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 a way of restricting the human being and, and controlling the human being. And we are worth so much more than that. We are free, creative, fabulous human beings, and global governance Look, is, is really wanting to crush that, that creativity and that, that, that kind of, if you like, the, 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 the link with nature and creator and everything that we hold dear. We have to hang on to that. And we, we must, you know, what, what's going on in our schools, the children are very confused about what is real. We have something called reality privilege coming in where people just don't, you know, the elites are allowed to know what really is, what is real. But our children are confused about their gender, about everything, everything that's going on in the world. What is real, what isn't? What is fake news, what isn't? And it's about time we actually got down to common sense and understood that our children need they need guidelines, they need to know what's real, they need to know what nature is, they need to know what sex they are. Thank you. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for, for coming and participating. And it's been great. We're going to have a Q&A now. Thank you.